0: Hebrews chapter eleven. Hebrews chapter eleven, and we'll begin in verse thirty-two. We'll reread a passage of scripture that we read this morning, and zero in on part of it. Well, we will also will be looking at a passage of scripture in the Old Testament. So keep your Bibles open uh, through the uh, scripture reading. Hebrews chapter eleven, verse thirty-two. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, and Jephthah, also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for your word. And we ask as we look into your word at these heroes of faith, that Father, we know these things were written before for our learning, that we through patience and comfort might have hope. And Father, I ask that you would give us the encouragement and strength of looking into your word at these heroes of faith that did their work and did it well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, you have some familiar names. Some of the most familiar names that we've learned about from children growing up as far as this roll call of faith. There's some unfamiliar names and then there's some unnamed people here. But I want to zero in where the writer of the book of Hebrews says, Time would fail me to tell of Gideon of Barak of Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. I want to zero in on Barak. Who is Barak? Well, Barak obviously was an important figure because he's one of the ones that is named. Now, the prophets were important too, but he just puts them in one group. So this guy obviously merits looking at. And I want us to take a detailed look at Barak's life in that, you remember over in verse uh, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, he was referring to these people as well as others. Then he talks about what we can do to better our lives for Christ. So what do we see in the life of Barak? Turn to Judges chapter 4, verse 1. Judges chapter 4, verse 1. It's way back toward the back of the Bible. Early in the days of the children of Israel. And here's the beginning of his story. The story of Barak. Judges chapter 4, verse 1. When Ahud was dead, the children of Israel... Again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold him into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, the commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Herosheth, Haggaiim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. And for 20 years he harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah... A prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at the time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Nathali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and with his multitude at the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. If you will not go with me, I will not go. She said, "I will surely go with you." Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey that you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up ten thousand men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. First thing we realize is serious sin brings serious trouble. Ahud was dead. The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Of course, the key word there is again. This is the fourth time this is mentioned. This exact same phrase is mentioned in the book of Judges over a period of a hundred or more years. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Two times later, it would say it this way. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You'll find that in chapter 17, verse 6. Chapter 21, verse 25. Serious sin. They again did evil. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. So God does what it takes to correct his people. He brings a strong king with a strong general with a big army, with the best of equipment, 900 chariots of iron. And the children of Israel, all of them are on foot. So you know if you have chariots, you have horses. You can't outrun horses. They're bigger, they're stronger, they can trample you. And if you're trampled under the foot of a horse, that's bad enough. But when a chariot of iron runs over you after that, that's even worse. Even the chariots and the horses were weapons. They were in a bad way. And for 20 years, they were under the iron fist of the man with iron chariots. It said that he dealt harshly with them. Also, we understand they were in serious trouble in that it says Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. What we realize here, they had absolutely no male leadership in the country now at this time in america where you have of course women in power and positions of power and leadership and and authority in all areas of our society it was like uh, well that's a big question mark so what but you have to understand israel was a male dominated culture at this time had been for centuries would continue to be for centuries to come And in this male-dominated culture, there was not a man in the country that was usable for God. They were in serious trouble. Now, here's the lesson. God will use those who will make themselves usable. Not just available, but usable. Deborah was available. Deborah was usable. But we realize the fact that a woman took that position in a culture that that was just unheard of, told us that the men were not usable. Their country was in a bad way. And so she was the judge. She was in charge. God was speaking to her, and God had a plan. And the plan, of course, was to deploy troops of Mount Tabor and face this king head on with Sisera and his army. And Deborah sent for Barak. His story provides encouragement and discouraging times. 20 years of discouragement. Hear the encouragement that we see. Number one, God has a person in mind to do his work. God has a person in mind to do his work. It may have looked like things were pretty sparse, but for 20 years, it looked like that there was nobody that was going to step up. All the while, God was preparing a man called Barak. God revealed to Deborah at just the right time, now's the time, there's the person, and we're going to take care of some work. Secondly, God has a plan in mind to bring about the victory. Notice he didn't leave it for Deborah and Barak to figure it out. He had revealed to her, go and and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera with his chariots. And he had the right place at the river Kishon. I'll deliver them into your hand. He had a plan. Twenty years of discouragement, God still had a plan. Thirdly, Barak acknowledged that this plan was of God. Now, where do we see that? He didn't just salute, say, "I, I'll go." Notice in verse eight, Barak said to Deborah, "If you'll go with me, I will go. If you will not go, I will not go." You might ask, "Well, what?" What's the significance of that except was he too afraid to go by himself? Deborah was the judge of Israel. People came to Deborah to be, of course, take care of whatever judgment they might need. They recognized her as the spokesperson from God. And what he meant was this. I don't want to go unless I can have the spokesperson of God along also. This is God's plan. This is God's battle. I want God's mouthpiece. I want to be sure that I have access to the person who's speaking of God. So you understand that Barak made it to the hero's hall of faith because he knew this was not his battle and this was not his to make the judgment call. He wanted to be sure he was going to hear from God. Barak was willing to let others get the praise. Now listen, this would be a game changer for a lot of people. In verse 9, she said, I'll surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. I'm out. I'm out. If I can't get glory, if I can't get the battle star, if I can't get the spotlight, I'm out. You mean somebody else going to take the credit for my hard work? Are you kidding me? He didn't care. He didn't care that somebody else got the credit. He just cared that the job would get done. And he was willing to let others get the praise and the credit for the plan. Barak was able to encourage others to join in the work. Look in verse 10. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh and he went up with 10,000 men under his command. This is quite interesting in that right off the bat he could recruit 10,000 other people. Now, notice, Deborah didn't recruit the 10,000. Barak did. Obviously, Barak had an ability to motivate men. That's what they needed because the men weren't real motivated at the time. He had the ability to motivate men, so once he got him into the position, Deborah didn't motivate the men. Barak motivated the men, and it gets even better. He called even other tribes, Over in chapter 5, we look in verse 12, Deborah is singing a song, kind of rehearsing the battle and reviewing it and and praising the Lord and celebrating the battle. And she says something very interesting in chapter 5, verse 12. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake and sing a song. Arise, Barak, lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. The survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down with me against the uh, mighty. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples from Makir, rulers came down. From Zebulun, those who who bear the recruiter's staff. Did you catch that? Ephraim and Benjamin joined in. Other tribes came. Now, I mentioned this was some discouraging times. And it was hard to get people motivated, but Barak could motivate the men not only to join in, but look at their courage in verse 15. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As Issachar, so with Barak, so sent into the valley under his command among the divisions of Reuben. There were great resolves of heart. What a change. What a change over the opening verses of chapter 4 when for 20 years nobody stood up to them. Now you have great resolves of heart because Barak was able to motivate men and Barak was able to recruit men. And so we have yet another tribe involved. Look in verse 18. Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their life to the point of death Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. They risk their lives against incredible disadvantages. You see what Barak did? He recruited them. He brought them on board. He motivated them. And under his command, they had resolve of heart and marched even into what looked like certain death under incredible circumstances. Look in chapter 5, verse 8. Speaking of the people of Israel, they chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. They didn't have a shield or a spear among them. Now Later on, we will see in the book of Samuel, the reason is is because the uh, opposing Philistines would not let them have any forges even to make... Uh, farming implements because they were afraid they would make weapons in them. So here starts off with 10,000 with no weapons. Who's with me, Barak says. And Barak recruits 10,000. And after he is through with Zebulun and Naphtali, he gets Ephraim, Benjamin, and Reuben's tribe. And it says there was not a spear or a shield among how many? 40,000. 40,000. He is able to recruit 40,000 men with him. Barak did his job. And then the Lord did his work. And we'll continue the story back in chapter 4, verse 11. Now Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree, At Zanaim, which is beside Kadesh, they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Benoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera gathered together all his chariots, uh, 900 chariots of, of iron, all the people who were with him from Heresheth, Hayim, to the river Kishon. Deborah said to Barak up, for this is the day which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following with him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots with all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots. And the army, as far as Heresheth Haggaiim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Now it says, of course, he came down with 10,000 men. There's what he started with. But scholars say the other 30,000 joined in as they routed, and they did the mopping up work. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. There was peace between Jabin, king of Azor, and the house of Eber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, and do not fear. When he had turned aside with her to the tent, she covered him with a blanket. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened a jug of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man here, you shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down in the ground so he was fast asleep and weary. And so he died. That's an understatement. You see, the lady's work was to set up the tents. She knew how to swing a hammer. She knew what to do with the tent peg. So when he fell asleep, she eased up and she caught him under that blanket and whammo! Now who won the victory? It wasn't Barak, was it? It was a lady. Just like Deborah had said. The Lord did his work. Now, To run from the battlefield was the ultimate in humiliation. Sisera ran from the battlefield. To be killed while fleeing the battlefield was even worse humiliation. Sisera was killed while he was fleeing the battlefield. And then here's the top it all off. To be killed by a woman was unthinkable. And God did all three. God did all three. An army with 900 chariots of iron. God defeated them. It's quite interesting. God did his work in several ways. One way is hinted at in chapter 5, verse 19. She's still singing the song The kings came and fought. The kings of Canaan fought and Tanak by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. That ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. O oh, my soul, march on in its strength. Here's what that describes. All those chariots of iron came to where God had told Barak to deploy. Where did Barak deploy? In the lowlands by the river. And they drove these big chariots of iron down to the lowlands by the river. And it says the stars fought against them or the heavens. God sent some rain. Now we can identify with that. Do you have enough rain? You're going to get stuck. And all those chariots of iron got stuck on the sandbars of the river Kishon because God brought a rain. This was not the rainy time or he would have never brought his chariots down there. God did his part, but Barak did his part. And then God won the victory. Not just a victory, but a very decisive victory where Sisera, the man that had dealt harshly with them for 20 years, was killed and always by an unarmed woman with a hammer and a wooden tent peg. Now, there's the story of Barak. Now, Barak's the ones mentioned in the book of Hebrews, isn't he? But, but who really gained the victory? Well, that woman in the tent. Well, I, I would say that most certainly she did the ultimate job. But who really gained the victory? God gained the victory. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, consider and look, seeing such a greater cloud of witnesses. Now, after you read about these witnesses, now run with patience the race. So that's why he tells us about these people, so that we can take courage in the most discouraging of times. Is there anything before we close?